0: Chris Avina with American Outdoor News. Today we have Chris Dorsey of Dorsey TV and Dorsey Pictures. Chris, thanks for coming on.
1: Great to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: The, man, we have so many things to talk about. You produce shows, you do shows, you hunt, you travel. You, you're a man of, uh, man of all trades.
1: Well, I'm just trying to avoid honest work as much as anything else. So. <laughs> yeah, you don't <can't> both. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone.
0: <laughs> now, you have uh, shows, Building Alaska, Tiny House, uh, Big Living, uh, Main Cabin Masters. I like that show, by the way. I watch it all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's done really well. It's a very popular show.
0: So how did you get into producing shows? Did you start filming your uh, own hunts and producing your own shows, and then you just... Into
1: you know, actually, I'm kind of a recovering magazine editor as much as anything. Once upon a time, I used to edit Sports Field magazine yep. out of uh, Los Angeles for Bob Peterson. It was, uh, you know, he had all those magazines on the West Coast, uh, Guns and Ammo, Hunting Magazine, Motor Trend, Teen, Skin Diver, a whole series of lifestyle magazines. But he ended up buying Sports Afield from Hearst Magazines out of New York. And I had worked for him previously, much much younger in my my life. And uh, he said, "Hey, who who would come to L.A. and edit this magazine?" I love Sports Afield magazine. I had actually written for it when Tom Paul was a longtime editor there. Terry McDonald was the editor uh, just previous to me. Terry went on to be the editor at Sports Illustrated. I moved out to uh, to L.A. back out to L.A. and and ran Sports Afield magazine. But then really at that point kind of saw that was in the, the early, oh, I guess 90s recession period where advertising was really fluid and shifting out of print uh, significantly into television. Not so much digital, yeah. not so much streaming, but television at the time. So this notion of branded entertainment uh, was something that we had created a television show around Sports Field Magazine. and yeah, I just saw kind of all the advertisers fleeing the magazine but they love the television show and and i said i think there's a you know i'm not the sharpest guy in the room but i said, i think there's a business here <laughs> and i knew most of the c-suite guys in the outdoor industry all the gun companies ammo companies and kind of you know started knocking on doors about why don't we create a tv show about your your brand your company your products give it personality and, and sort of stretch the marketing envelope a little bit for you and and that led to i think I think we're now up to 56 different series that we've produced in the outdoor space over wow. about 20 25 years and we've done an equal number in mainstream cable television like you were mentioning main cabin masters which uh, was on DIYs moving to magnolia magnolia is the joint venture between Chip and Joanna Gaines of fixer upper fame and uh, discovery channel and yeah we've done we're the we're the kings of tiny i think we've done six or seven different Tiny House shows over the years. Tiny House, Big Living, which is almost like wallpaper on HGTV, and, and lots of uh, lots of other shows uh, for Discovery and History, Nat Geo. We've got a new IMAX film that'll be out actually next month, and it's opening I think in three cities in in Texas: Galveston, Houston, and I think Corpus Christi. And it's a it's a natural history film about uh, the Prairie Wetlands of Canada. This this amazing ecosystem that really has has produced like 70% of the water birds in North America come out of that ecosystem, yet nobody knows anything about it. And yeah. we got Ducks Unlimited and Max McGraw, Wildlife Foundation, Audubon to come in. Michael Keaton, Birdman himself, is the narrator, who's a friend of ours. And so, yeah, we're kind of excited about that. It's a, it's a stunning film. It'll open in Denver in, in January as well. And I think coming to Pittsburgh, Edmonton. So it's the way the IMAX films work is different than Hollywood releases where, you know, a movie might open nationwide on Friday night. IMAX films move individually around to different markets and they stay in those markets for up to a year. Yeah. So it's uh, quite an engagement.
0: Well, when it comes to New York, let me know. We have IMAX theaters here as well. And uh, Yeah,
1: it will. In fact, uh, they're, they're in negotiations right now Our distributor with the uh, a couple of different theaters in New York.
0: Right. I look forward to, uh, I look forward to Yeah. Stopping. So if somebody
1: wanted to start a show, how do they go about that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a crowded, crowded marketplace, as you know, I mean, it, it's, uh, there's a lot of people that want to do it. Um, I, I think it's probably pretty smart to build a social media following now. Yeah. And, uh, and quite frankly, a lot of people are, are, are doing the, the social media influencer thing and are getting lots of follows. And you know, I you know, certainly we're involved in that space as well. I I don't exactly know where the transactional success of some of these platforms are at this point. We've done a fair amount of research on it, and they're very different, very different demos. We we look at social media as a support structure. For television and you say well why is that when you you might have millions of followers well the the demo isn't particularly great in a lot of the social platforms they tend to be much younger they don't have much money their buying influence is, is pretty small whereas television is an older demo it's it's 50 yeah. 55 plus well 75 percent of the wealth in the united states is is controlled by people over 55. so if you're selling a premium product if you're selling a premium service, experience, et cetera, you know, that television demo is still a very good demo. Several of the magazines have really great demos as well, but we got to look at the whole landscape and go, well, why not be in, in these social platforms as well and use that to graduate consumers into other platforms, you know? So, I mean, the podcast world is taking off and, you know, yeah. obviously you know that very well and, and, uh, becomes a great platform as well.
0: Do you see um, the advertising dollars flowing out of TV?
1: You know, actually, it's 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 kind of the inverse right now. And, and for a while, it was it was digital. And everything was digital and and uh, and social platforms. And that's still there's still growth there. Don't get me wrong, but but boy, did they jump back just a few years ago back into TV because they couldn't yeah. track you know, the sales investment, you know, the investment of the, the, uh, the, the, advertising and some of those social platforms. So we have a, we have a very big sister company, one of the biggest uh, digital companies, production companies in the world called Studio 71. I think they have 8 billion views of their content every month worldwide. And, uh, but it, it's, you know, it's been difficult to sort of crack the financial code in that realm. Brands are, Are coming in but they're again they're struggling to figure out exactly how the roi works whereas some of these you know these more traditional mediums have have just sort of proven themselves over time and and that's why you're still seeing you know pretty good rates being charged on the on the linear tv front
0: uh you see more money coming into the streaming video as well or
1: well yeah i i think part of it is there's more more money being spent on content right i mean you've got You know, the, the notion that you're going to sort of divest from television. I mean, all, all that's happening is it's all going to streaming, right? And you're, you're not paying less for content. You're paying more for content. You're paying more for content than you have ever paid for content. And that's, uh, you know, I mean, who doesn't have 14 different streaming platforms now? And, and yeah. I, had a, I had a friend of mine who's, who runs a very, very big uh, multinational media company. He just said, look, we're going to lose a billion dollars a year over the next eight years launching our streaming platform. But we feel like we have to do it. We have to go head to head with Disney. We have to go head to head with, you know, Warner Media and, and uh, these other, you know, Viacom players. And uh, and so, you know, and Netflix and all the rest of them. So it's an interesting shift, but I, from a consumer standpoint, I don't really know exactly what we're gaining. We're getting more opportunities out there. There's certainly more money being spent on content, yeah. but in terms of the notion that you're going to get content for less money, cheaper, that isn't the case. It just isn't the case. So, yeah, so, you know, we're paying more for content. We're getting more opportunities for content. Um, you know, when I go to Netflix or I go to Amazon, you know, Hulu, all these, I mean, it's to me, it's pretty damn hard to tell the difference. I mean, they, they tend to carry many of the same programs, yeah. you know, some of the really big guys like Disney, they have huge franchises that are global, you know, they've got a leg up, obviously uh, universal has a big leg up too, just as a, a giant company, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time for sure. And, and the outdoor space is caught up in that too. You know, we're, we're all looking at OTT platforms and streaming in addition to linear in addition to web-based kind of content, and we're we're pushing content out to places that didn't exist five years ago, so it's it's kind of going everywhere, which is which is great.
0: And they're they starting to package it also. You see, Outdoor Channel with Carbon TV, and you know, giving uh, a little bit of everything.
1: Yeah, and I think part of the concern is just what's going to happen down the road, right? If if uh, you know a gatekeeper wants to deplatform hunting content or personal defense and gun content, you know, what recourse do we have? We don't have a lot. really don't and, have uh, and Yeah, so it's, it's, part of it is just a, a defensive posture to make sure your content is in many, many different places so that if one platform does say, we're out of the gun space, we're out of the hunting space, you've got someplace else to go. Now, would I love to see, you know, a center-right giant platform emerge? yeah of course i'd love to see that but in the meantime we're still on the you know communist platforms like facebook and instagram and and these guys that hate us YouTube and, that's, and that's yeah and that's part of what i hate about even playing in that space it's like i feel like we're feeding the beast that wants to destroy us and i know everybody feels that way it's a if necessary you're in the- evil though. it is kind of a necessary evil and until there's another platform that sort of believes in who we are and our lifestyle you know here we are
0: yeah now you've uh you've been on some amazing hunts and and uh, you you did the uh africa's dangerous game slam the north american uh super slam uh the turkey slam where do you find the time for all this
1: Well, you know the the good news is I started at a very young age, so it was kind of a kind of an occupational hazard working in the uh, the outdoor magazine business, then outdoor television business. And we've done we've done so many series over the years: Dangerous Game, Deadliest Haunts, you know, all sorts of whitetail and elk and big game shows. And 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 I didn't set out to do any slams. I mean, I, I don't you know it wasn't like here's my checklist. I want to go do it. I mean, it was just one of those sort of the more you keep doing this organically, you just kind of get around the world. And I think I've been close to 50 times now in South America, 35 times and and all over Canada, many, many times Europe. And, and uh, so it's just sort of a, you know, it's what I love about big adventure hunting is really the excuse to go travel and see different places. And, and, and even if you don't share a language with guides um man you share a spirit that that hunters are bound by no matter where you live yeah
0: i've I've always loved to travel and i've been around the world and more for leisure than for hunting but you know now i look at a place i'm like okay what can i hunt while i'm there you know
1: (laughs) yeah i think the marine corps has a slogan something like that too but it's a little bit different strange yeah. exotic place yeah but yeah. Anyway, yeah but it's you know i've always loved to travel and and uh, i think when you when you travel as a hunter you get to see you get to see countries and landscapes that you know the average person going from one city to the next as they move around will never understand that will never appreciate that and and you know it's it's pretty cool to be in argentina and and have a, a sunrise just lift the veil off a marsh, where you can hear what sounds like pintails, what sounds like widgeon, what sounds like teal. The difference is, you know, it's it's uh, Bahama teal, and it's it's uh, different. You know, Chiloe widgeon, it's rosy billed poachers instead of scop and things like that. But they're they sound similar. But you're in a completely exotic landscape, and and that's pretty cool too. It is.
0: It is, and it you never know what you're gonna find. Yeah, yeah. you know, every day, every morning is a new adventure.
1: Yeah, amen.
0: So you um, went from being an editor to being a producer.
1: Yeah, you know, once once we kind of made that transition and I could see, you know, there's a real business case to be made here for a branded entertainment, television production company in the outdoor space, Um, And it was just sort of perfect timing because, you know, the magazine world was getting really tough. The brands still were selling. They still wanted to market. And then you had these cable channels emerge like ESPN, TNN, if you remember TNN back in the day. TNN, you know, became Spike. And now Spike is, of course, Paramount, which is where Yellowstone is on and some of those other big shows. Um, But yeah, you know, it was just sort of the perfect, you know, nexus of, of the right timing. The brands were ready for it. I knew the brands and, uh, and we, you know, we tried hard to produce, you know, pretty high quality programming on the budgets that we, that we had. And I think we, we early on kind of set ourselves apart from a lot of the programming that was out there. At least I hope we did. And uh, we've always tried to maintain that, that semblance of, of quality of production, because at the end of the day, this whole lifestyle is, is really who we are it's not what we do
0: yeah it's it's part of us yeah. now, as as a creator uh, you you finish up a project and you're like wow that was that was a really good project what was your favorite project that you've been involved with
1: ooh that's a great question I, you know this IMAX film has been really quite an amazing journey, it's a two year film, millions of dollars to, to, to produce this film, but it, it it's a film with a mission. The whole idea stemmed from a meeting that Charlie Potter at the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation up in Chicago put on, he brought in all the top waterfowl scientists, biologists, managers from the from Canada, throughout the United States, private sector, public, and uh, and really, to kind of look at the North American Waterfall Management Plan, to look at at uh, the North American Wetlands Conservation Act, and and where are they? What what is it doing for waterfall in North America? And how do we how do we communicate that? How do we celebrate that? This amazing international conservation effort, you know, tens of millions of dollars over time, yeah. you know, saving millions of acres of habitat, and and I was brought in obviously as a as a media guy, as a communications guy, and. Once upon a time, I used to run marketing communications for Ducks Unlimited, and I just said, well, look, why don't we look at a big strategy that's long-term, that really does celebrate this amazing ecosystem? You've heard of the Everglades. You've heard of the Amazon. You've probably heard of the Serengeti, but who the hell has heard of the prairie wetlands in Canada, in North and South Dakota, the prairie pothole region, aka the duck factory if you're a, a waterfowler? And uh, And very few people have. So it's like, how do we brand that? How do we brand this ecosystem so that people really care about it and they really want to protect it? Because they know looking skyward, all these birds, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of birds coming over the, over the skies every fall and spring are coming out of that same spot. If that spot doesn't exist, we don't have this magic, right? Just yeah. connect those. And uh, And so the IMAX film became the focal point of that strategy. But every time that film goes to a different market, There's newspaper, television, radio interviews done around the film coming to town. It's like the circus coming to town. Only in this case, it's about conservation and these amazing ecosystems. And uh, gives us the chance then to really tell that story market by market in a really meaningful, long-term way. And oh, by the way, there's an entire curriculum, school curriculum built around the film, built around the prairie wetlands, you know, the whole magic of the place, and so that goes into school systems for a decade. And, uh, and then it goes into streaming platforms and television globally, not just domestically, but abroad. So anyway, that was the idea. And, and so it's, it's not so much making a movie, it's, it's creating a movement. That's really the idea.
0: Sure. And it's an important subject matter that everybody mm-hmm. cares about on both sides of the aisle.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's, this is not political. This is, you know, this is apolitical all the way you know, we all agree that we want more birds, we want clean air, we want healthy water systems, and, and uh, this is all part of that. We got to tell our story.
0: Sure, everybody wants a clean duck in their oven. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> or two. <laughs> so are you more a bird hunter or a big game hunter?
1: You know, I get that question a lot. I think, I think partly because I started early in my career mostly as a wing shooter uh, only for lack of opportunity in big game hunting, right? And then as I got into, you know, in my mid to late 20s, I started working for Hunting Magazine out in Los Angeles and, and Craig Boddington, great, great friend. And I uh, started traveling around the world hunting big game. And, and uh, you know, so that just became much more of my focus for the next 25 years. So, but I love it all. And I mean, as much as anything, to me, it's kind of where you are and who you're doing it with. that's that's the real draw and those are the memories and i've got twin boys that are 16 now and are fanatical little velociraptors that love to hunt and fish and so you know as much as anything i just like taking them out if i don't pull the trigger no problem you know just just being with them in the field is is magic enough
0: passing on our heritage
1: yeah yeah and it's it's a shared commonality that we'll have forever you know and and being able to relate to your kids through a shared lifestyle, I think it's just a pretty magical thing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. On that note, we're going to take a minute to uh, just recognize some of our sponsors. Uh, Underwood Ammo, always a standard of excellence. Uh, Pyro Putty and Phone Scope, innovative, always coming out with great products. And of course, Hunt of a Lifetime, we're going to see a quick message from them, and we're going to be right back
1: we love our children we protect them we guide them we
0: prepare them for life in the world with all that we do from deep in our hearts we cannot control all things life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year while we cannot change the circumstance we can make dreams come true dreams to provide hope to provide spiritual healing and strength to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a non-profit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Okay, and we're back. And uh, we're talking about family and outdoors. What, what a better way to, to bond with your kids.
1: Yeah, no, I just, it, it, we, we took a trip down to the Amazon this past year. Uh, my, my boys love to fish and one's a fanatical fly fisherman. The other one's a spin guy, but it, was a, it wasn't the peacock bass zone. We caught a few peacocks, but it was a really, it was a different river that was full of catfish and, or a and, and like dozens and dozens of very exotic leviathans. I mean, you know, wow. just very odd looking fish. And so we were catching stuff that, you know, we couldn't even identify what was coming out of the water in some cases. Big toothy critters, big fight, and we just had a ball. I mean, it was one of those... We completely unplugged from the civilized world. There were no, there's no Wi-Fi, no cell connection. And uh, I can't remember the last time we did that. And that alone was worth the trip. But to do it in such a remote, wild place in the Amazon and for the, you know, 15-year-olds at the time to see that environment, to be immersed in that environment, was a pretty special deal.
0: How many kids get to see that? Not,
1: not yeah. very many.
0: Probably very many. Never-
1: I'm a big
0: believer in uh, taking a kid traveling and exposing them to the different cultures. That's uh, the biggest learning experience out there.
1: 100%. I mean, I couldn't agree more. You know, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money, but my parents still managed to get us out and travel some, and, and, uh, and you're right. I mean, you talk about connecting with cultures and understanding the world better because of that. Um, yeah, that's the greatest education I think you can get.
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent. So now, what uh, aside from uh, the uh, iMac movie coming out, what shows do you have coming
1: out? You know, we've uh, obviously sporting classics television is is coming back on. Uh, it's on right now. It'll come back next season in July on Outdoor Channel, which is a lot of fun. We've got uh, we've got Spanish IBEX. We've got hunts and in uh, Africa, in, in South America, some great elk hunts. We just did a fantastic elk hunt down in Southern, southern Colorado. I took my, one of my sons down there and uh, he shot just a magnificent bull. It was, it was at almost 12,000 feet. I've never shot an elk wow. that high. In fact, I've never shot a that high. And uh, it was a little bit warm, so there wasn't much snow up top. And these old bulls just stayed right on top. So, you know, you're sucking sucking wind at 12,000 feet, but uh, we made about a two-mile hike in to get to a, a little bachelor herd of about six, seven bulls, and snuck in 150 yards away, just above them, and uh, and, and Luke made a fantastic shot on a 340-class bull. I mean, just a magnificent old monarch wow, of the mountain. Cute. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, packing them out of there, obviously, it was some work, but it was – such a memorable hunt, such a beautiful ranch, great, great guys, a lot of fun, but it was, uh, that was his first bull, and to, to literally see that same herd of little bachelor herd of bulls two days earlier from about three miles away, and then finally, wow. in a couple days later, get up on them, and, uh, and do this long, long stalk across the, the mountains, probably a two-mile stalk to get in there and get on them, and it was just really rewarding, you know, it's that old story of, you know, the value of a trophy is, is calculated directly proportioned to the amount of energy expended in its acquisition. I think it's a Ivan Turgenev uh, quote, but, it, it you know, there's no animal that he takes that will mean more to him than that elk. That's, you
0: yeah, know, that's exciting in itself just to yeah. be there and, and uh, share in the experience with somebody. That's, uh, yeah. especially yeah. when it's their first, uh, first
1: time. It's, yeah, uh, I mean, you get to see it again, you know, for, for the first time through somebody else's eyes. It, it feels like, you know, it, it feels very much like your first hunt as well. And, and, uh, and when it's your kid, you know, that yeah, that's extra special for sure. We'll have that for the rest of our lives.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, um, you've hunted just about every species under the sun. What's your favorite animal to hunt?
1: Ooh, you know, tough question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, you know, there's so many great animals. I mean, you you look at a white-tailed deer, and it's got kind of everything you'd want in a game animal. Um, love hunting white tails. Love hunting elk. Um, you know, some of the some of the most rewarding hunts I've ever done were clearly mountain hunts. Um, I went three different times to try and get a mountain goat, and finally, and I was always hunting late season, because a mountain goat to me, you know, the, the cape is so much of the spectacular aspect of the animal, you know, and yep. in late season, they grow that super heavy cape, and and I really wanted to hunt one that was fully, the, the pelage was just fully mature and, and thick, and, and so that means you're hunting in snow, right? I mean, you're you're walking on snow up the mountain to get it at, you know at the at the goat and and uh, finally did in British Columbia shot a just a, a monster of a goat and and after three different hunts of two other ones not getting a goat it was such a satisfying I didn't know if I had one more climb in me frankly in that hunt because it was just three trips up the mountain yeah. in the snow you know knee-deep snow and sliding and and uh, but to finally get that sucker was just so rewarding but uh, you know the bongo you know, I took a bongo in Cameroon. I went one year, we were just too early. The rains hadn't fallen. You couldn't really track the bongo. I got a giant Elon on that trip, went back home a little dejected. I really wanted the bongo. I'd been, you know hoping to get a bongo for about ten years. So I went back the following year. We finally got the bongo and and that was another one that you know, you're just chopping your way through the the Cameroonian rainforest and and uh, when you see this orange antelope, in the middle of that the emerald forest. I mean, it's it just takes your breath away. It's one of those where you just yep. literally you just pause. You're not in hunt mode, you're just kind of in awe mode at that that moment, you know. And I think, you know, that that's the way it was with leopards for me. The first time I saw a cat in natural light on a limb, I mean it just wow, it just yeah, it, it, it's it's awesome. It just is an awesome sight. And and I think if you ever lose that. I don't know why you would hunt, you know.
0: Well, at the end of the day, life is a series of experiences. And when, when it's your time, that's the only thing you're going to take with you, the experience. That's right. Can't yeah. take the money, can't take uh, assets or anything you acquire except your memories.
1: Yeah, there's no uh, no U-Haul on a hearse, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) but uh well we have uh show season coming up um i know everybody has their work cut out for them um what do you look to get out of uh the upcoming shows
1: yeah well i'm excited that uh they look like they're gonna happen i mean number one that's uh that's a big deal these days obviously and and uh, Dallas Safari Club, I've always enjoyed getting down there. That's the first one for us. And, yep. and uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like a homecoming. You know, you 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 get to see all these people from around the world that you typically only see once a year, you know, if you're lucky. And it's usually at the convention. So, yeah. you know, for me, it's it's like old home week. You know, you can't get down the hall without, you know, seeing 25 people you've known, or you've hunted with or, or whatever and, and for a long time. and. Then we're gonna to go to SCI in Vegas and probably we'll get over the shop show for a day or two as well. We've got yep. some some business over there and friends over there. And but it's uh, you know, it could be a bit of a grind, but it's fun as well. I mean, I just enjoy getting out and and after everybody being cooped up for so long, isn't it nice we can finally get together? Mask or no mask, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I always look forward to this time of year, you know. You Get to see friends, like you said, they uh, don't normally yeah. see. Uh, you only see them at the shows that you go to, or if you're lucky enough to be uh, yeah. down on a hunt with them here and there. And uh, you know, it's always the best time of year. It's like Christmas.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we're social animals. At the end of the day, you know, I mean, we, we, we need connectivity, and and uh, we can't be stuck in our homes away from people and doing everything by Zoom every day. You know, we, we need some connection as, as human beings, I think. And that'll go a long way towards, uh, you know, maybe healing some of the wounds in this country right now.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, speaking of which, I know we uh, spoke about um, uh, earlier before we t- started taping the uh, gun rights and the NRA and, and all that. What's going on with the NRA these days? Yeah,
1: you know, I, I write for Forbes and, uh, and I've, I've covered, you know, sort of what's going on with the NRA fairly significantly. There's certainly others in the category that have covered it much more than I have. You know, look, there's not a lot of good news to report. I'm a, I'm a life member of the NRA. I just didn't realize it might be for the life of the organization as opposed to my life when I signed up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously they're, they're going to go to trial in New York. Letitia James is the attorney general in New York. Is, uh, is hell-bent on, on taking the NRA down. And it, it seems after the, after the NRA tried to file bankruptcy, lots of information came out in that process. It seems she's got a lot of, she's got a lot of ammo. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we'll see. I think the trial is scheduled March, April window. Uh, everything I'm hearing is the NRA will likely get a continuation on that, probably push the trial back to the fall. Uh, speculation maybe there could be a settlement. I just don't know how. I think at this point she's got so much information on the NRA and and sort of uh, the corruption issues and and malfeasance and and uh, it's it's pretty awful and it's likely to get worse frankly before it gets better.
0: Well uh, I don't see a lot of people renewing their membership to the NRA and the the main feedback I get is they're not rejoining because of Wayne LaPierre.
1: Yeah, and, and, and the logical question is where's is the board, right? I mean, what what has the board done here? You know, what responsibilities do they have? Obviously many have resigned yeah. in, in protest of what's going on. And, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's just a pretty untenable situation at this point. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I've I've talked to many gun uh, gun and ammo company leaders and executives. I've talked to their council. I've talked to industry council out there, and and uh, there there is not a sense that this is going to end well for the NRA. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a it's an incredibly sad thing. We need a strong NRA. They've done a lot of great things over the years, obviously. Um, but but very difficult for them to even engage right now. I mean, they they can't really be be very active in the marketplace politically. I don't know really that they're doing much right now, and uh, we're coming up on the midterms that are going to be all important. Then and, and that's the time that they're going to be fighting for their own survival, yeah. much less defending the Second Amendment. And uh, so yeah, it's a it's a really really unfortunate situation, but but it seems a, a lot of itself inflicted so i don't know what the outcome's going to be yeah I, I likely think, not be um, good
0: a few years ago uh god it's probably close to 5 years ago uh when um Oliver north was uh was there uh, he was making a play to clean it up and that kind of backfired on him and uh, he got bounced
1: well, and, and I think I, you know part of what I wrote about as well is in Forbes is what comes after the NRA, what what comes after Wayne LaPierre in this board if the NRA survives. And I mean, it's it's difficult for me to imagine a scenario where the NRA doesn't survive in some form. At the end of the day, you still got millions of members who did nothing wrong. It's they're really the victims out of this deal, and uh, it's not their fault that their leadership. Let them down, and and so I think it would be, it would be a mistake to to try and end the organization, which uh, the attorney general has has blatantly said she would like to do. She's been a NRA antagonist for a long time. This is not new for her, uh, but now she's armed with a, a great deal of facts, and and uh, and the NRA is spending an extraordinary amount of money right now on legal fees. I mean, that's, you know, they're spending more on legal fees than they are in any lobby effort, educational effort, and, uh, and that's, it's, that's an untenable situation. This is not going to endure long-term. What the outcome is, I think we're gonna know probably later in the fall.
0: So in the event we see the NRA disband, who fills that void?
1: Well, that's the big question, right? It's, is, is there another organization? Of course there's other organizations, but heretofore nobody is, has captured the brand strength, the political clout, the, uh, the notoriety, the, you know, just the brand awareness. Nobody has anything close to that outside of the NRA right now, but clearly there's, this would be a giant void in the marketplace that we can't afford not to have. We as a category, yeah. Must have a very strong Second Amendment organization that is the cavalry that that can be called when needed. You know, we we happen to have a very a very uh, sympathetic court right now, but that's not that's not a long term deal. And then we've got states issues and the fight in, in even in the hunting situation, the fights go to the states very often, and yeah. they have tremendous impact on people. So we've got to be able to fight on. Uh, at the state level as well as the federal level. And I don't know, to answer your question, I don't know who fills that void.
0: Well, there's a number of organizations, but like you said, <laughs> they, they don't have the political clout or the uh, the uh, staying power to uh, to step up.
1: Yeah, at least they haven't demonstrated it yet. Maybe they will, we'll see. But, uh, but there is clearly a, a generational, beyond a generational void now. And, uh, and, and it's got to be filled. It has to be filled.
0: Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, with that in mind, uh, we'll see what, uh, what comes of uh, the courts or the yeah. delays and go from there. But yeah. um, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and speak to us uh, on a number of topics. Uh, it's been enlightening,
1: really. Well, thanks for asking great questions for, for having me on. Certainly appreciate that.
0: All right. Look forward to seeing you at the shows and uh, we'll uh,
1: speak to you soon. All right. Likewise. Be well. All right.